You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Marge Piercy. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. I write about many, many things. To me, it's all one vision. You're always trying to understand where you came from, as well as trying to understand where you think you're going. When I was 15, three things happened. We sold our house. On either side of us, they were white. And when we sold our house to a black doctor, my boyfriend next door poisoned my cat. And at the same time, my grandmother died. She'd been the only human figure who gave me undivided love beside my cats. And she gave me my religious education and a lot of tales, a lot of stories from women's ghetto experience. And also a woman I loved. She died of a heroin overdose. Her pimp had gotten her hooked so she could endure it. So all of this was all not the way it was supposed to be, not the way they showed on television, not what we saw in books or anything. So I started having to write, and I also started becoming political. I could see so much that was wrong in Detroit. It's basically, novels for ideas are totally different than not ideas for poems. A novel is something you live in for two or three years. A poem is something you work on for a few hours, you come back to in a week, maybe you come back again until it's finished. It's a much more direct thing. My novels are, the only one of my novels, Braided Lives, is anything about my life. All the others are the lives I didn't live or how we got here. A lot of my novels have to do with understanding how we got to be where we are. That's true of City of Darkness, City of Light, which is about the French Revolution, which is when the modern women's movement started. Sex Wars, which is about a lot of the similarities of political ferment right after the Civil War and now. A lot of the same issues, immigration, workers' rights, voting rights, of course, abortion, contraception, the role of religion, should Christianity be taught in the schools, all that stuff they were arguing about then. I discovered I didn't like running for the stage. What was it about that you're more adapted to novels and poetry? We created a character who was extremely hypocritical and manipulative. And the guy who played him wanted to be a hero. So he played him like he was the good guy and fucked up the entire play doing it. So it didn't make the point we wanted it to. So maybe the thing is you might like writing for the theater, but you want to write for, we can just say good (laughs) <laughs> no, also, also, in a novel, you can skip 30 years, people get old, whatever. Uh, in a play, you have to always be conscious whether if you send them off stage one way, they can get back on stage that way. You're dealing with physical bodies moving around the stage. And you have to be very conscious of that. And I found that very unliberating. <laughs> It wasn't for me. 
getting into into writing. It's I started writing both fiction and poetry. I got better at poetry much faster. And then when I got good at fiction, you could not publish serious fiction about women until the women's movement started. I remember I, I had said this in a very political novel, and it included World War II. And the editor said to me, why do you write this up? Why don't you write a nice love story? If you want to set it against the war, good. But you should write, be writing love stories. So how did you overcome that? The world had to change. We had to change the world before I could publish my... I got my first novel published because it had a lot of... had a male protagonist. But the world had to change before I could publish my... what I really wanted to write. I think before a poem goes into a book, I want to have performed it enough to hear what works and what doesn't. And you can hear what lines don't work when you're doing it aloud, if you're paying attention, if you're really performing it. Sometimes there's just too many unaccented syllables and it's like a string of pearls breaking. You have to fix that. So you're going to, you've selected some poems you're going to read from this? Yes. The first is, language has shaped my life. Works in my business. How I've made house, food, machines, clothing, taxes happen every month. Words are pointers to fact and lies. Words are how we shape stories that map my own and others' lives. Words go back and forth between us, carrying love and promises, anger and memories we cherish off-key. Words jumble themselves into rich nonsense as I sleep, as vows, our vows sacred or just shaped air. When I lie down at final time, will I speak last words or just Shut up and let silence have its way. Save me. At the MSPCA, dogs were barking in terror and anger. Older cats looked at us in hopeless appeal from their cages. In the cage of kittens, one black and beige girl reached out through bars and grabbed Woody's arm. Take me, take me, Zena cried. Picked up, she purred madly, purred in the car all the way home. I was a poor Jewish girl from a black ghetto, mad to escape family, the neighborhood, Detroit, friends pregnant at 16, gang raped at 13, whored at 12. Zena could smell death. I didn't know the university was great, but it was miles away. An alumni group visited our schools, interviewing scholarship applicants. I assumed a girly persona I hoped would save me, smiled not too much. I invented hobbies, mentioned tutoring and tennis, playing piano. That was true. Yes, I had friends at school, other outcasts. In my neighborhood, yes, I dated when studies permitted. I'd had lovers in eighth and ninth grades, but had never gone on an actual date. I had a steady boyfriend for a year, yes, but he got too serious. I made the scholarship. 
At college always, but back to my radical, loud, mouth, sexually busy Jewish self. Zena is huge, a hunter, treats the other cats as kittens. She's never more than a foot away, day or night, from us taking care. We both saved our young lives. Who can hold them? What can save them? When my mother died, when my grandmother died, all those memories I never got to catch and keep vanished to dust smokes, floating in a skein of silver moonlight and gone. Maybe I'm a poet in part because I want to seize all those memories that flit and vanish and seal them into the perfect resonance jewels of amber, moments transfixed and perfected like Jurassic wasps. Questions I never thought to ask in childhood hang like dead birds around my neck. Never will I know my great-grandfather, the rabbi's first name, or what his wife was like. How did Grandmother Hannah get along with her mother? Was that who told her all those tales of Balaam's and Dybbuk she passed on to me, more precious than the doll clothes she sewed from scraps of old dresses? They both told stories, but never enough. Parts their lives edited out, too caked with old blood, too harsh in the mouth like lie. Even though I write 40 or 50 books, my private memories will ride on the wind away like milkweed fluff. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.